welcome back. This is our number two. This before before we get into some of the other big newsy items, because there's some fun stuff that's happened this week. I want to talk about some history because this last week is an auspicious week in the history of computing and technology. The beginning of April is an oddly productive month for nerds, going all the way back to 1973. April 3rd, 1973, 50 years ago, Martin Cooper, on the streets of New York City, made the very first call on a cell phone. (laughs) <laughs> and and it, it it's great. It's better than that. Because the very first call on a cell phone was one of those big Motorola brick phones, right? Those, those classic, iconic Motorola giant chunky phones that you imagine Wall Street traders and, and dramatic Wall Street movies using throughout the 1980s. This is what Martin Cooper was talking on. The prototypes of that phone. And the first call he made was to Joel Ingle. Now, who was Joel Ingle? Joel Ingle was the head of Bell Labs at AT AT&T. And Martin Cooper was an engineer working over at Motorola. These were two companies that were in a fight to get the first cellular phone working. And Martin Cooper and his team at Motorola did it first. So who did who did Martin Cooper call? He called Joel Engel, of course. He's, and this is this is a a rough a rough recollection of the call from Martin Cooper. He said on the call, quote, I'm calling you on a cell phone, but a real cell phone, a personal handheld portable cell phone. And <laughs> Joel Engel apparently was very polite about it, but disappointed. And yet to this day, seriously, I, I, I don't I actually don't know if Joel Engel is still alive, but 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 as far at least relatively recently, when asked about that call, Joel Engel claims he has no recollection of it. <laughs> How do you not remember Getting the first cell phone call in the history of mankind. Of course he remembered it. But, you know, Martin Cooper was calling the head of AT&T's Bell Labs. This huge, monstrous, an 800-pound gorilla in the space. And Motorola was a tiny company by comparison. And he was rubbing it in AT&T's face. Like, ah, we beat you to it. Now, it would be quite some time before cell phones really could be commonly used everywhere. But that initial brick cell phone, once they worked out all the regulatory tape and and the government gave the thumbs up that you could use different spectrums in order to to have your your analog cell calls, was called the Dynatac. And it stood for Dynamic Adaptive Total Area Coverage. <laughs> That's what Dynatac stands for. And they sold that. And the first one that hit the market, $3,900. Whoa. Oh, my heavens. Uh, we've come a long way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> when we complain about how expensive some phones are today, and they are. 
The first one was $3,900. It's amazing when you look back over the history of cell phones, you see some really expensive phones, not even adjusted for inflation. They were just crazy expensive back then. Now, I, I was lucky enough to meet Martin Cooper one time. I was at a Star Trek convention of all places. And this was, I think, Star Trek's 40th anniversary. It was held at the Space Needle in Seattle, Washington. And I, I was there uh, just just for fun. And uh, I, I went to a presentation that Martin Cooper was giving on the creation of the cell phone. And theoretically, it was supposed to be about how that, you know, was influenced by Star Trek communicators and, and whatnot. Right. That was the idea. But it ended up mostly being a history of cell phones and whatnot. And it was a fascinating chat. But what amazed me, what kind of blew my mind, was after this this presentation ended, and there was, uh, I don't know, a good 100, 200 nerds, Star Trek nerds, sitting there listening to Martin Cooper, the legend, talk about how he created cell phones. The nerds just filed on out. They, they just left. They, they just walked out. Nobody walked up to say hi to Martin Cooper, except for me and, and the buddy I was there with. I'm like, dude, I'm going to meet friggin' Martin Cooper. So I, I go on up to him. I thank him for everything he's ever done because he's done some great stuff. And I had a question for him. I wanted to know what cell phone, because this was the early days of smartphones, there were smartphones of all kinds, from Windows mobile phones and early iPhones and Android phones, everything, right? There was, just, there was just so many options in the cell phone space. I wanted to know what cell phone Martin Cooper, the guy who created cell phones, currently used. And I thought this was just kind of a, a fun question. I'd get a quick answer. He'd just show me his phone or say, I use an early Android phone or whatever. It, it caused him to launch into a diatribe that I will never forget. He began to rant and rave about how much he hated the current state of cell phones. <laughs> and I mean, when the guy who creates cell phones says all cell phones and cell phone networks are terrible and they're doing it wrong, you have to listen, right? Like you have to stand up and take notice because the darn guy created them. And so then he points to his belt. And I don't know how I had missed this before. Maybe it's got, he had a bit of a blazer on. Maybe it was covering some of it up. But he had, you know how you can get a belt clip that you can clip a cell phone into? Most people don't do that. You know, like some people will like on a job site or something have their, their cell phone in a belt clip. He had those for his cell phones. He had, I think, four of them. Or three of them and then one in the pocket. But it was just, it, was, it looked like a Batman utility belt, but just for cell phones. He had a little bit of everything on every network. <laughs> and, and I'm sure it was giving him some sort of weird radiation. <laughs> that was a lot of cell phones strapped to his midsection, strapped to his loin area. Oh, but he then he went on a rant and a rave about uh, the, the problems with digital cell phone networks and how the call quality is just atrocious. And he's right. If any of you were around in the earlier days of cell phones, when the cell phone networks were analog, because that was the way it was, you probably remember if you had a strong signal, the call quality was beautiful. 
If you had a weak signal, it got a little, little, little grainy and whatnot. But if you had a strong signal, the call quality on an analog cell phone line was gorgeous. And so he went on a rant about the, the problems with the compression on digital cell phone networks. And he just was pissed off about how it loses all the low end and it just doesn't sound right. And it sounds all sounds like a robot underwater. And he just ranted and raved about it. He didn't like the operating systems used on the phones. He didn't like the shape of the phones. He didn't like how the phones sounded. He didn't like the, the ability to pick up long range signals. Like he just went off and I loved that. I absolutely love that. I love it when a nerd like that really knows their stuff. And I mean, let's be honest, nobody on planet Earth knows cell phones like Martin Cooper, the king of cell phones. He created, I mean, he's the one, you know, and when he goes off on it, yep, I I stand up and take notice. Anyway, I I just had to regale you with that Martin Cooper tale because he was such a nice dude and he was so nerdy, you know, he was that he had this, he had those white hair, white, white, kind of short trimmed beard, really sweet and gentle guy. And he was excited to talk with some younger nerds about how crummy modern day cell phone technology was like he was excited you could tell he was keyed up to have this discussion and i think he was a little disappointed that all these star trek nerds didn't didn't take him up on it like he was right there he was keyed up ready to go and they just filed out of the hall to go i don't know see nichelle nichols or george takei or something like that (laughs) but that martin cooper was right there anyway it was it was pretty awesome but So that was April 3rd, 50 years ago. April 4th in 1975 is the founding of Microsoft in Albuquerque, New Mexico. (laughs) Because Microsoft was not originally from Redmond, Washington. Microsoft was from New Mexico. And that really wasn't where Bill Gates and crew were at. They were just there because that's where MITS was and the Altair was being built. And their product, their their claim to fame at that point, their sole reason for existing was putting a basic interpreter on an Altair. That was their whole thing in life. So they founded themselves in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They were working out of a little cheap motel and they that's where they found themselves. And nowadays, nobody associates New Mexico with Microsoft, but that's where they came from. Back when their early logos had kind of a, a kind of an almost like metal music font. If you look up the early Microsoft logos, it looks like it looks like it should be spelling Metallica. Like it's, <laughs> it does not look like it should be spelling a computer company. It was kind of awesome. Flash forward a little bit. April 6th in 1992... We saw the release of Windows 3.1, which I still hold is the second greatest release of Windows ever. It was not, it did not have preemptive multitasking, had cooperative multitasking, which not as good, but there was something beautiful about it. It was the culmination of, of, of a decade of work on Windows to polish it, to improve it. And it was the end of the line for that entire design with the program manager and that particular look and feel to the windows. And I feel like it was a quality release and one that really holds up to this day. If you ever get a chance to run Windows 3.1, take it. 
it's it's an interesting ride. It is a surprisingly capable system. You get a networking stack on there, run it inside of a virtual machine. Really, there's not a lot you can't do on that machine. Quality office mach- office software, great versions of things like Photoshop and whatnot. It is a surprisingly capable system. I, I still hold second best version of Windows only second to Windows 2000, which has nothing to do with early April. <laughs> but Windows 2000, which <clears throat> is one I worked on. But <laughs> that aside, it's still the greatest version of Windows ever made. Flash forward two years. April 4th in 1994, Netscape was founded. And Netscape may not exist anymore. You know, it got gobbled up by this and that and AOL and Sun and and and, and then the Mozilla project got spun off. So much stuff happened and Netscape just kind of went away. But Netscape defined the early days of the World Wide Web. While there were other web browsers, there was Opera, there was Internet Explorer... Uh, Mosaic, which Netscape built on top of, and, and many others. Nothing captured the attention and the hearts of people who were exploring that in that part of the internet for the first time. That little, that little, that little animated N uh, with the with the stars shooting by it and everything like that. The, they call that the throbber up in the right hand corner of the browser. It it was iconic. It defined almost an entire generation, it feels like, of people utilizing the internet and taking advantage of it. I miss Netscape. I'm not going to lie. I truly miss Netscape. I miss, I miss web browsers that could run on a machine with 16 megabytes of RAM and still run pretty darn peppy. I miss those days. I miss the UI design. I miss the simplicity of it all. I miss the fact that it supported multiple things like Gopher. I miss all that. I miss it a great deal. But April, early April, every time early April goes around, I I stop for a second and I marvel at how much happened. And we're just scratching the surface. Maybe next April we'll talk about another handful of the amazing things in computer history that happen in early April. (laughs) I don't know if it's spring in the air. I don't know if it's the holidays. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's April Fool's Day that just spurs computer nerds on. But something happens in early April. It seems like nearly every year that creates some truly amazing computer history. Just awesome. Just awesome. All right. All right. Uh, stick around. We got a whole bunch more. So don't go away. If I had the means, I mean the means you need, my darling. We could have gone away so gaily on my penny farthing. In my heart you'd be, because there's no second seat. An acrobatic feat, a challenge I would gladly It seems like it's hard to have a single week go by where we don't have some sort of news of a big tech company laying off a bunch of people or a big tech company cutting costs to a dramatic degree. And this week is absolutely no different. But something happened this week that felt like it just might, it just maybe wouldn't happen at all. We're seeing massive cost-cutting measures followed by a small number of layoffs from Apple. Apple. 
Now, up until fairly recently, very, very recently, Apple was very, very much saying that they were going to avoid layoffs. And that seemed like it might actually be happening because in just the last quarter, Apple brought in $30 billion and they have a huge, huge reserve of cash to the tune of $165 billion with a B, buckazoids, just sitting there. And up until just a couple weeks ago, I mean, we're talking like two or three weeks ago, Apple was talking to the press about how they were doing a few cost-cutting measures here and there to avoid layoffs. And with all that cash coming in, and some pretty reasonably good uh, results from the previous quarter. And the fact that they hadn't had layoffs in quite some time. It seemed very possible that Apple might be one of the only companies not doing layoffs. Facebook's parent company Meta and Google and Amazon, all of them have had thousands, if not tens of thousands of layoffs in just the last few months. But Apple? Nada. That all has changed. Apple is now doing layoffs, but in a smaller scale. A, we don't know the exact numbers because Apple is not, has not released those exact numbers yet, but it sounds like it is specifically focused on their corporate retail teams. So workers who do uh, the construction and upkeep of Apple's, Apple stores and uh, their physical warehouses as well. That clearly is going to be a smaller number of their overall, you know, uh, uh, employee base. But it's still significant because it is an actual round of layoffs, which Apple hasn't done in four years. The last time Apple did any layoffs at all was 2019, when they laid off 200 people from something called Project Titan. And Project Titan has been Apple's self-driving car project that they've been working on for many years now, and it has never worked out well. Um, Every report that has come out about Apple's self-driving car initiative has been either a disaster or a mismanagement or just a bad design or things aren't going according to plan. Nothing is ever, oh my gosh, we're, we're breaking new ground and we're doing something amazing. Uh, it's just not going good for Apple's car initiative. However, that was the last time that we saw any layoffs until now. Until this last week, we're seeing a couple of layoffs happen. Uh, now, and they're not the only one doing cost-cutting and layoffs. Did you know, this blew my mind, I, <laughs> I had no idea of this, Facebook and Instagram are laying off, I believe, their entire support teams. Now, here's why that confused me. I had no clue that Facebook had a support team. Did you know Facebook had a support? Supposedly, this is a fairly new thing. Uh, They had just announced that they were going to build customer support teams last year. How does a company the size of Facebook with Instagram and everything else not have any customer support and get this far along? It is amazing. It's amazing to me. How does that even happen? Uh, it, it just, ba- but but it kind of makes sense. If you've ever, it's sort of like Google. 
if you've ever done any like real work with Google or Facebook, YouTube, any of them with advertising and publishing and things like that, and you have problems, getting a hold of someone to help you with those problems is a nightmare. An absolute nightmare. I mean, Google used to have, um, uh, for some of their bigger YouTube channels, these these dedicated people that would work with their YouTube channel. I, I had one for my YouTube channel um, way back in the day. And they would help me out and work with me on things and fix issues. They would be my custom, you know, each each individual support person would have like, I don't know, like a dozen YouTube channels that they would represent and they would be the customer support for those big YouTube channels, you know, and uh, and they, they took those away from all but just a handful of YouTube channels. And from what I've heard, there are YouTube channels with millions of subscribers that's, that can't get a hold of anyone at YouTube. <laughs> Like, like people will bring in millions and millions of views every day, every week, and not be able to get a hold of a single human being. There is not a phone number you can call to actually speak to a human being. There's no storefront you can walk into for Facebook or Google or YouTube or Twitter or any of them and say, hey, I'd like to like to speak to someone in support, please. That doesn't exist. It's absolutely baffling. You can't email someone. You like, and you do if you do those little online chat things. It's always just automated robots with a really crummy AI engine that, that'll never help you. It's just enough to drive you insane, make your face go red from just intense anger and steam spit out of your ears like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh, it's ridiculous. Well, apparently Facebook said, you know what? We should have customer support, which <laughs> you think. And one year into the idea of building a customer support team, they said, nah, never mind. Customer support is dumb. And they just axed their whole customer support team. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Oh, uh, but that is not the most ridiculous of the layoffs and the cost cutting that is happening over the last few weeks. The gold medal, the the trophy for the most insane and ridiculous cost-cutting measures has to come from Google. Now, Google is renowned for being a bit over the top in terms of employee perks. You know, they did the, 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 the uh, chefs and, and fancy cafes and fancy foods and, and just everything, right? Like they really went to town on the perks. That all is changing, dog. If you work at Google, my apologies, but you are about to lose all of your goodies. Um, uh, this is a, a statement... <clears throat> Who's this statement from here? Uh, from someone in, in Google, some high uppity up in Google. As we've publicly stated, we have a company goal to make durable savings through improved velocity and, and efficiency. Okay, uh, this, so this was a memo that went out to all Google uh, employees, right? To start with, the phrase durable savings through improved velocity and efficiency makes me kind of want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's just, I hate every bit of the buzzwords of durable savings through improved velocity and efficiency. Sorry. Um, and I continue with the memo as part of this, 
we're making some practical changes to help us remain responsible stewards of our resources while continuing to offer industry-leading perks, benefits, and amenities. Ay, ay, ay. Google, you know, you know, with how carefully they're wording it, you know, they're setting it up for employees to just be pissed, right? <laughs> you know, they're about to take away all the goodies. All right, here I go. Continuing the visible memo. Google employees who are not in engineering roles but require a new laptop will receive a Chromebook by default. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, nothing against Chromebooks, but I'm sorry. I, I I don't know. I just I feel like I feel like if you're I don't you need more than a Chromebook. You know, a Chromebook is a great supplementary device. I have my issues with Chromebooks, but even I, who don't love the always connectedness and the limited form of Chromebooks, I have to admit that there is there is use for them. They're low cost, low power. They tend to be have good battery life. Uh, they're great for a number of things that people need, but uh, you need people to have more than a Chromebook. Um, they go on. The company the company has asked its its cloud employees and partners to share desks by alternating days, and are expected to transition to relying on cloud top for their workstations. So, so yeah. So not only so not only are they only going to have Chromebooks now, but they no longer have their own desk. They need to share a desk with someone else. Work it out with them which days they'll work and get the desk. So, 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 so me and me and Rodney will have to share a desk to where, where we put our Chromebooks and Rodney's will, Rodney will take Tuesday and, and Thursday and maybe Sunday. And I'll take Monday, Wednesday, Friday, cause we'll alternate days on which day we get the desk and the chair. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and they need to rely on cloud top for their workstation. So cloud top is basically their their VPN sitting in a cloud remote desktop, right? So if you need something that you just can't do on your Chromebook, you basically uh, log into your remote desktop or your VNC session on CloudTop to do that, which uh, couldn't possibly have any problems when the internet goes out. All right, caramba. Uh, we have asked... Oh, oh, this is the best. This is the best cost-cutting I've heard from Google. We have been asked to pull all tape and dispensers throughout the building. Uh, the, <laughs> if you need a stapler or tape, the receptionist desk has them to borrow. <laughs> if you need a stapler or some tape... You need to make a request from the receptionist to get to borrow a little bit. Oh my word. How I mean, what does that say about a company when they're at the phase in life where they're they're so broke you have to ask someone to borrow a stapler for a minute or some tape. Good gravies. What is happening at Google? It's ridiculous. Um, oh, oh, this is great. This is great. This is great. Um, quote, now that most of us are in three days a week, because people in, in Google don't go into the office every day, we've noticed a supply and demand ratio that is a bit out of sync. 
we have baked too many muffins on a Monday <laughs> and offered yoga classes on Friday afternoon when folks are more likely to be, quote, working from home. <laughs> Oh, so they're canceling Friday afternoon yoga classes. And apparently, I guess they're going to cut back on how many muffins they bake on Mondays. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, that was a thing at Google's. They have Monday muffins. I want Monday muffins. I love uh, tomorrow's Monday for me. I want to eat some muffins. I'm going to have to go to the store and buy some muffins. But apparently, they made too many muffins. So, uh, so if you want your muffins, you better get there early because they're going to be a lot less muffins and heaven help you if you need to do some yoga because there's no more yogas on Fridays. And well, if you need a stapler or tape, hope this receptionist likes you because you got to ask the receptionist for tape and, <laughs> and a stapler. Oh, that make, make, kind of makes me think of office space <laughs> where Milton, Milton has that red stapler that causes him to want to burn the whole building down and everyone's fighting over the nice red swing line stapler. I bet that's, that's, we're going to see, we're going to see an entire Google building burned to the ground because, because of a fight over a red swing line stapler. Watch it. You just wait. You just wait and see. Um, oh, and of course, during the layoffs in January, this, this wasn't previously reported too heavily, but the company fired more than two dozen on-site full-time massage therapists. The, the the headline here really should be that Google had over two dozen massage therapists on site and they just find them. <laughs> well, yeah, you need a lot of massages if you're eating that many muffins, you know, <laughs> get some tape with your stapler. I, I, I wonder, I wonder how many massage therapists they still have. Is that, was that a significant percentage reduction in overall massage therapists? employment i want to know that i want to know is that was that was that 50 percent of the massage therapist or is that just a drop in the bucket do they still have hundreds of thousands of massage therapists this is information that i need to have and i just simply don't have it all right we're coming up on a break uh stick around uh, as we close out the show we've got uh, exploding flash drives and and all sorts of other crazy stuff uh so uh you you don't you don't want to miss that you don't want to miss exploding flash drives <laughs> What I want you got might be hard to handle Like a flame that burns a candle The candle feeds a flame What I got full stock, thoughts and dreams that scatter And you pull them all together And how I can't explain Well, you You make my dreams come true If there was one thing one thing about computing nowadays that should be just innocuous, that should never, ever hurt you, something that you can rely on to not cause you physical pain, it should be a USB flash drive, right? I mean, at this point, everyone has a pile of these suckers, of flash drives from of from a gigabyte on up just that they got free at conferences or a swag or that they've purchased over the years to back some things up usb flash drives are just simply everywhere they're like they're like the new floppy disk you know they're just something you have and you're glad you have them and you don't even necessarily use them all that often but you've got them well now now people are putting bombs 
in flash drives. This is a really real thing that's currently happening. I'm going to read you a quote from an Associated Press article that just just caused me a say what now moment because I have a I have a pile of flash drives and now I'm wondering <laughs> wonder if any of them are going to explode on me. Um, all right, quote. Authorities in Ecuador are investigating small explosives sent to journalists at several media outlets, one of which detonated but did not injure anyone. And they said Tuesday they have a suspect. The suspect is not being identified so as not to hinder the continuing investigation, Interior Minister Juan Zapata said. And he didn't clarify if that person had been detained or if authorities know of a motive for the attacks. Zapata said all five of the packages sent in recent days included a similar small explosive device disguised as a USB memory stick. One such stick exploded Monday in the newsroom of uh, Equavisa, Equavisa News Channel when the journalist it was addressed to inserted the device into a computer. The computer was destroyed, but nobody was hurt. A device addressed to a fifth journalist was intercepted by a courier service. Now, what's crazy here is this kind of makes a certain amount of sense. USB drives get power. There's power over USB. So that power could be used to help ignite an explosive. So what you just need to do is pack an explosive is small enough so it's inside of a USB thumb drive. Now, obviously, you don't need to have all the other components of a thumb drive in there, so you can just gut the darn thing out and just fill it with an explosive and a little bit of some sort of a system to ignite it. And now that I think about it, yeah, that's an easy thing to do. And what... This kind of concerns me because we haven't been hearing about this happening, but now that it's out there, I can just imagine people who want to blow people up going, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Make an explosive that looks like a USB thumb drive and then put a little note with it that's like, these are the super classified documents leaked from the Pentagon and just mail it to just every newsroom on the planet and kaboom. Because how do you... I mean, how do you check for that? Have you ever gotten a USB thumb drive and popped the sucker open to verify what was inside? Like, I've opened them up before. Just, like, I had an old, like, 256 meg USB thumb drive that I popped open um, after I realized I was never going to use this thumb drive again. Because it was just too small. And, you know, just to play around with the insides of it. But I have, I don't know, I probably have 100 thumb drives. Because, you know, I worked for tech companies and marketing and whatnot, and you have so much swag over the years. Every, it seems like every tech company gives out USB thumb drives with their logos on it at one time or another. I have It has never occurred to me that I should pop them open and double check and make sure there's no explosive or, I don't know, time release, electronic release, like poison capsules or, or something else horrible inside of it. But you could put just about anything awful inside of a USB thumb drive uh, from spying apparatuses like, you know, microphones that are hidden, explosives, all sorts of things. Holy heavens. I, 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 this is no joke. I've been to conferences where the NSA, yeah, the National Security Agency, was giving out NSA branded thumb drives. 
Yeah. I, no, I got to say, if I had an NSA-branded thumb drive, and actually, I think I do. I think I do have one or two of those. I should probably pop them open and <laughs> just see what the NSA put in there. Are they just thumb drives? Because ostensibly, in theory... The NSA goes to these conferences in order to recruit nerds to come work for the NSA, right? That's why they're there. It's a job recruiting fair for them, right? They're not, they're not selling NSA services. They're trying to get, convince people that the NSA has good perks and everything else and you want to come work for them. I don't know how successful they are at free and open source conferences, but, you know, they go anyway. And they bring thumb drives. I've got NSA pens, NSA thumb drives, um, all sorts of stuff. Now I'm wondering what's in that stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming the NSA is probably not going to blow me up. But what else are they putting in it? And now I realize I've got this, I've got this basically a box filled with thumb drives. I wonder if any of them have something inside of them that I hadn't previously thought of before. Do you know what I mean? Like now I'm, now I'm questioning things uh, when before I wasn't necessarily... And I've received, I've, I've had people hand me things on thumb drives before. Like, here's, here's some files, here's some stuff to go over, here's a thumb drive with them on. Now, shoot, people blow people up with thumb drives. Dang, girl, <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Oh, man, yeah. So now I'm definitely second-guessing my stockpile of thumb drives and or explosive devices that I've got sitting <laughs> not too far from me right now. Um, <laughs> and then, all right, all right, all right, let's change the topic a little bit, uh, from one sort of crime to another. Did you guys hear about the Apple store heist? Yeah. Uh, a, a, a thief broke into an Apple store by, by entering the Apple store through a mach- a, an espresso machine and like coffee supply store next door and basically, you know, getting through the wall and everything into the Apple store and stealing half a million dollars in merchandise. And, uh, dare I say the joke has been made by me and by others, but I'll make it again. Uh, that consisted of three iPhones and a MacBook. Yeah, uh, but it, it always amazes me when people lift those sorts of things because there's those are fairly easy devices to track. You know what I mean? They've got serial numbers. They've got Mac addresses. They can be remote turned off. It just it amazes me that they they go through and they th- these thieves did not steal stuff reportedly like the, the fancy high end espresso machines from next door which would probably be easier to unload on the black market than this stuff from the Apple store. And yet they went for the stuff from the Apple store. That blows my mind. I, 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 I question, I questioned the, the mental capacity of these thieves. It, it is just simply not great. In fact, dealing with used Apple merchandise is an absolute nightmare. Even if it's legit, it's so it happens so often that people buy used apple say iPhones and they're bricked and locked and and can't be unlocked um there are there are pictures online of people who have in recycling centers stacks of iPhones hundreds and hundreds of iPhones stacked on top of each other that cannot be used by anyone because they are locked cannot be unlocked 
and Apple refuses to unlock them for use. Even they're not stolen. They're just phones that people threw away. They can't be wiped and reused. They are locked and bricked and done. Apple hates people reusing things. They hate it. They do not want, Apple does desperately, desperately does not want there to be a market for used Apple hardware, especially their phones. They want people buying new phones as often as possible, and the old phone needs to go in the garbage. They do not want people buying used Apple equipment anymore. And personally, I think that's awful. I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with Apple nowadays is how absolutely hostile they are towards their end users and using hardware and the fact that they force planned obsolescence. I mean, they've been sued from here to kingdom come because of planned obsolescence issues like throughout Europe. There have been lawsuits against Apple because Apple intentionally reduces the battery life on phones and reduces performance on iPhones over time on purpose. Like it literally checks to see how long has this battery existed? Okay. It's existed too long. Start reducing the the performance of the machine, start throttling it down. They've been sued by France and, and other countries in the EU as well. And so I, when I see people who clearly worked very hard to steal half a million dollars from the Apple store, and in the end, are they going to be able to sell all of that? Probably not. Maybe some of it, but it's just not going to be worth it in the end. So I, it makes me feel like maybe these thieves should have just stolen the espresso machines next door. Do you know what I mean? Machines that probably can't just be remote bricked by Apple because Apple remote bricks everything. All right. All right. Uh, as we as we come to a close on this fine, fine Sunday afternoon, I want to thank everyone out there in the Lunduke Journal world, all of the nerds who have supported the work that I do and supported the show and helped spread the words. Thank you. You are all absolutely amazing. I, I want to point out that in the coming weeks, this show will only be available on our as a podcast to to the the paid subscribers and that is because it is going to begin in June airing on the radio and so people will be able to listen to it for free with advertisements in but if you want the podcast version with no advertisements like we've had uh, for the since this show began and, and will continue to have going forward, uh, it is only going to be available uh, because of how the contracts are all laid out uh, right here for, for paid subscribers. So if you don't have that yet, go ahead and grab one, uh, lunduke.substack.com, lunduke.locals.com. You can grab a subscription there, get it all set up, and so you, you always get the show. Uh, up until then, for the next several weeks anyway, some episodes will be, and some episodes, hours will be free for everyone uh, just sprinkled here and there but I want to try and get everyone used to the fact that it's going to change come June so kind of get yourself into that mindset don't want anyone to be surprised don't want anyone to be left out and don't want anyone to miss out on all the goodness that is to come 
All right, everybody. Love you all. Hope you're all having a fantastic and nerdy week ahead of you. Hope you get to do something extremely nerdy. Like, I want to see you installing NetBSD on, I don't know, on a Commodore 64. Is that even possible? I don't think so. But, you know, if anyone can do it, I'm sure one of you can. And with that, I do declare end broadcast. Walked in the room, we thought he was surrounded. He fought, we hit the ground and got up again. He brought the boom and now we're getting slaughtered. Forget the boss's orders to take him in. He's mystifying, fist flying, knocking out fools like he's not even trying. Case lying, justifying, and the second number, I'm the next one dying.